Matthew chapter 21. This is Holy Week. And this is the last week of our Lord's life. And I don't think there's any greater declaration for us uh, of our Lord's Messiahship and who he was than this triumphant entry that he made into Jerusalem. It was the first event of the week and it took place on the first day of the week. And Jesus was proclaiming that he was the son of the living God. He was then, he is now, and he shall evermore be the son of the living God. And for that, I'd like to say that he's worthy of our highest praise. Verse 1, and when they drew nigh unto Jerusalem and were come to Bethpage unto the Mount of Olives, and then sent Jesus two disciples. Mm. And when they drew unto Jerusalem by foot, he had no stallion and no donkey, he had no camel. Jesus had no means of transportation. He had what God had given him as he entered to the world. He had his feet to get him to where he needed to go. Do you understand that God always has for you what you need to get you where you need to go? Now, it may not, what you need and what he gives you to get you from where you need to go may not be to your liking, but if God has made a way for you to have what he has blessed you with, you ought to be able to give him some praise and glory. Jesus has been to the city of Jerusalem many times, and this is the last time that he will ever come to Jerusalem. So this event marks the last week in the life of our Lord. And the Bible here in verse 1 says, And were come to Bethpage, unto the Mount of Olives. Then Jesus sent two disciples. Verse 2, saying unto them, Go into the city over the village over against you. And straightway ye shall find an ass tied and a colt with her. Loose them and bring them to me. In those days, the ass and the colt were, uh, they were noble animals. And uh, they were used as beasts of service to carry the burdens of men and women. But more significantly, more significantly than that, it was used by kings and their emissaries and those that were born into nobility and into kingship. So when they entered into a city in peace, they would ride that colt to symbolize their peaceful intentions. Mm. Yeah. Yes. But when a conquering king entered into a city... He rode a stallion to signify him as being that conqueror. 
So Jesus sent two of his disciples into the city to secure a donkey and her young colt. Think about this. Every, every, every mission of the Lord, every task, no matter how small it may be, is important. Now, going to fetch an animal was a small assignment, and perhaps to many, and it would have been demeaning, but to, to, to these two disciples, it was a worthy task for them. And it was critically important in the proclamation that Jesus was king. And I want you to understand this today, that there is no task or assignment that can ever be thought to be too small when you are in the service of the Lord. Amen. Hallelujah. Hear me this morning. Yes, so many people are after the grander things the things that are out front and standing before the people, but there is so much that needs to be done behind the scenes. And, and by the way, I thank God for all of you who are here today and all of you who work behind the scenes to make sure that Pastor Dora and I and our ministerial staff and our praise and worship team and our ushers and our children's church ministry and our deacons ministry and all of those ministries to make sure that we look good and that we are bringing glory to God. And for that, I say thank you. Amen. Hallelujah. Yes. Now, here are two things here. Yes. Jesus, he never sends us out alone. That's why he sent two disciples. You will never know how many times that Jesus had a mission to be done and there was no one present or available to do it especially those small and insignificant missions such as this one that, that these two disciples were assigned to do. Now this cult was borrowed. And as we know, the Bible tells us that Jesus had nothing of this world's goods. So in order for the scripture that the Messiah was to enter into the city riding a cult, Jesus had to send these two disciples out to borrow a colt. Think about that. In our own minds, I, I think at times all of us have become so materialistic in our mindsets, thinking that we have to have certain things in order for us to be happy. We need to have the best of everything in order for us to live. Well, speaking in a generality here, but we even think that we can't even minister effectively without the latest material things of the world, the machines and the equipment and the methods and all of those things. But that is so unlike our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Second Corinthians chapter 8 and verse 9, for we know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ that though he was rich, Yet, for your sake, for my sake, for our sake, he became poor, that ye through his poverty might be rich. Now, here's a significant fact. When the proclamation of the Messiah was at stake, Jesus let nothing stand in the way. It was essential that the people would, should know that Jesus was 
the Messiah, the son of the living God. But he didn't own a donkey to fulfill that prophecy. So he went out or sent people out to find one. Well, that kind of determination and unswerving purpose should encourage all of us in standing up and being able to proclaim boldly that Jesus is the Messiah, the son of the living God. He was the king of glory. And even, even in that, he was no ordinary king. He was unquestionably, unequivocally, beyond a shadow of doubt, the promised king. He was the savior of the people. He was not coming as the conquering king. He was not coming as a worldly potentate in pomp and ceremony. He was not coming as the leader of an army to kill and to injure and maim and destroy because we know that it is the devil that does that. The world then and the world now has to change their concept of who the Messiah is. But Jesus was coming as the savior of peace. He was the savior of all men. He was coming to show men that God is the God of love and reconciliation. Jesus came to bring peace. The cult symbolized service, service for the Lord. It was a noble animal, an animal used in service of men to carry their burdens. So Jesus came riding upon that colt, symbolizing that he came to serve all of mankind then and now and to bear their burdens for them. Glory be to God. That colt symbolized sacredness because it had never been ridden before. Animals and things that were used for sacred religious purposes had to be animals and things that had never been used before. This was an important detail, I believe, that points to the sacredness of this event. It pictured for everyone who would see Jesus that Jesus was deliberately and purposely claiming that he was the sacred hope. He was the promised Messiah. He was the savior of the world. It was in the spring of the year A.D. 30. The city of Jerusalem was teeming with people. Probably if there had been a headcount taken, there would have been two million people in number. They were there to commemorate the Passover, which was an event that had first taken place 1,500 years earlier. But now here's Jesus. He is the Passover lamb, and he's heading to Jerusalem where he will orchestrate a massive public demonstration as he offers himself up to be the king of Israel. Now, keep in mind that, that Jesus was very powerful, but he was very low-key, and, and, and he would normally move about quietly, and he preferred to operate in obscurity. In fact, the Bible says in Matthew chapter 8, verse 4, that many times Jesus charged those he healed to tell no man. Mm. But now, things are changing. He's organizing this huge crusade for him. Why is that so? 
I suggest that it is for the purpose so that the Jews would never be able to say, if we had only had the opportunity to embrace you, Jesus, as our king, we certainly would have done so. So Jesus did that by stripping away the excuse from the Jewish nation when he rode into Jerusalem and publicly offered himself to them as their Messiah. Jesus has offered himself up to us without partiality so that if we would receive him as our Lord and Savior, then we would never be able to stand before him on judgment day and say, well, Lord, I had no idea. But people of God, we now have an idea. Verses four and verses five. All this was done, the Bible says, that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the prophet, saying, Tell ye the daughter of Zion, Behold, thy king cometh unto thee, meek and sitting upon an ass, and a colt, the foal of an ass. Jesus claimed to be the Messiah. He claimed to be the very Son of God. And the great pains that he took to fulfill that prophecy clearly shows all of us what he was claiming. And he is who he said he was. He was, in fact, working out God's deliberate will not only for his life, but for all of us who would come along many, many, many thousands of years later. He was doing exactly what God said he wanted his son to do many, many centuries before. And you can find that in the book of Zechariah, chapter 9, verse 9. Now here we are, back in the scripture. Verse 9, rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold... Thy king cometh unto thee. He is just and having salvation, lowly and riding upon an ass and upon a colt the foal of an ass. So he was making this claim that he was the Messiah in such a dramatic way, people of God. He was painting a picture for them that was so clear that every man could not fail to see what he was claiming to be. Well, I think that there are times in our lives when we need to make deliberate decisions about things in our lives as well. Most of the time when you ask someone or something, and I know that when I talk to people and many times and I ask them a question, you know, because I'm, I'm looking for a decision or, or some type of an answer towards them and they will, well, and so, well, I'm thinking, I'm thinking, I'm thinking, I'm thinking, I'm thinking. Think about this. We either have to accept the claim that Jesus put forth, that he was either or he was not the son of the living God. So as Jesus deliberately fulfilled this prophecy, so we too must deliberately accept or deliberately reject who Jesus is. Oh, I can hear in my mind that the Roman soldiers that were garrisoned there in Jerusalem snickering as they saw Jesus riding in on a donkey. 
just think what kind of snickers and, 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 and cat calls and chuckles you would hear if you had rode into our parking lot this morning on a donkey. So when a Roman leader would come cruising into a city, it wasn't on a donkey. Roman rulers, they rode black stallions followed by chariots and thousands of soldiers that were marching in step with their shields gleaming. But I wonder what the Romans of this world will say when Jesus ultimately comes again. For the next time when he comes back, Glory be to God. It won't be on a donkey. He'll come back riding a white horse followed by tens of thousands of the saints of God. Oh, don't you want to be in that number? You see, the first time that Jesus came, he came as the suffering saint. But the next time he comes, he's coming back as Lord and Savior. He's coming back as conquering king. Glory be to God. Verses 6 and verses 7, and the disciples went and did as Jesus commanded them and brought the ass and the coat and put on them their clothes and they set him, meaning Jesus, set Jesus thereon. Well, the disciples, they cared about him and his comfort. So they took their own outer garments as dirty and musty and smelly as they were. And they threw them across those animals. What an act of homage and reverence and recognition to the king of glory. And you know what? People of God, we today should be offering up homage and reverence and recognition to the Lord by obeying all of his commands and everything that he tells us to do. Even the commands that Jesus gives to us, yes, they may sometimes be difficult to understand and somewhat embarrassing. But yet, in all of that, we are to trust and obey just as these two disciples did, without doubting or without questioning. Hallelujah. Jesus said in John 15, 10, and 14, if ye keep my commandments... Ye shall abide in my love, even as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. Ye are my friends, if ye do whatsoever I command you. And whatsoever we ask, we receive of him, because we keep his commandments and do those things which are pleasing in his sight. 1 John chapter 3 and 22. Verse 8. And a very great multitude spread their garments in the way. Others cut down branches from the trees. In St. John chapter 12, verse 13, it says, They took palm branches and went forth to meet him, and they strawed them in the way. And the multitudes that went before and followed cried, saying, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he that cometh in the name of the Lord, Hosanna in the highest. Mm. Let us just suppose for a moment that the colt, upon hearing that cry, Hosanna, and seeing the branches on the road, should turn to the Lord and ask, is this cry for you 
Or is this cry for me? Or should he turn to the ass and say, after all, I am nobler than you because I'm the coat. It would be evident that the coat did not recognize the one who rode upon it. But you see, there was no difference between the ass and the colt. They got it all wrong. It was and is the Lord who is to be praised. The shouts of Hosanna are not for you. Neither are those branches spread for you. But Jesus deliberately received the recognition and the homage of the people. So the multitude began to gather since early morning, excitedly looking for him who had raised Lazarus from the dead. In fact, the Bible says that there were so many people that the Pharisees said, oh my gosh, and I'm paraphrasing, the world has gone after him. There was the crowd of disciples already accompanying him and the pilgrims on their way to the Passover feast that now joined in this procession and in this caravan. There were also in the midst of those residents of Bethany and Bethpage who had heard his presence and who had seen and heard about the miracles that Jesus had performed. They too were already in Jerusalem and the citizens and pilgrims were rushing and scurrying out and they were looking for Jesus. Is there anybody in the house today that is looking for Jesus? Now, we are led to imagine in our minds an enormous crowd of teeming thousands who were lining the roadway as Jesus was helped atop this donkey and, and he began his triumphal entry into the city of Jerusalem. Two or more million pilgrims gathered in Jerusalem every year for the Passover feast. Thousands upon thousands those who believed that Jesus was the Jewish Messiah. And the news being spread throughout the city and surrounding area, yes, concern the miracles that Christ had performed. But then there was a multitude who had turned around from Jerusalem to meet Jesus. And this multitude did two things. They were the ones who received Jesus as king how do we know that? Because they stripped off their cloaks and cut down tree branches and they spread them out in the roadway before him. Why? Because they wanted to honor and pay reverence to the king. They received him as Messiah. And it's evidence of that because they shouted about Christ. They shouted, Hosanna! Yeah. Which means save now or save we pray. They called Jesus the son of David, which was the title of the Messiah. They shouted out, blessed is he who cometh in the name of the Lord. This means blessed is he who is sent by God to save his people. Blessed is he who is sent with authority of God. They shouted out Hosanna in the highest, which means God save we pray. Thou who art the highest, save now through him whom you have sent. Even we proclaim Jesus as our king. But he's also to be the king of our hearts and our lives. And 
we should allow him to rule and reign over us. Every man should cry out, Hosanna, save now, I pray. Hosanna in the highest, salvation in the highest. Because the word Hosanna means save now. In effect, the crowd was essentially saying, we praise you now. Jesus, he's worthy of all of our praises, people of God. But then there were those in the midst who turned against Jesus. And I see that happening even today. There can be a tendency within the heart of even the people of God for us to want to throw in the towel and cash it all in when things don't work out the way that we think or when we feel that God is being silent and he's not speaking to us. But I want to tell each and every one of us today, God is always broadcasting. And if you're not hearing anything from him, it's because you are on the wrong frequency. If you are expecting Jesus to be a good luck charm for you, if you expect him to help you financially or physically or socially, without you having a personal relationship with him, you are ill-informed and you will be disappointed when things don't go the way that you thought they would. And you know what? It won't be his fault. Do you realize that Jesus came to die for our sins and pay the price for our iniquities? So as time evolved, Hosanna became a cry to praise God. And I love that statement, people of God, praise God. And I know, hallelujah, all of us in here know how to praise God. So my question to you today is, if Jesus is your Lord and Savior, it's easy to praise him. Can somebody in here today say praise him? Because when you praise him, that means you're giving him credit. When you praise him, he comes in and he will, beyond the shadow of a doubt, inhabit your praise. When you praise him, everything else is going to be all right. All right, all right. The crowd that day started blessing Jesus. They started magnifying him. They started making him bigger. They started lifting up his holy name. But in all of that, I believe that there were two different groups in attendance that day. I believe that there was a large group of spectators there that day. Yes, they were the ones who came out to look and see what was going on and to remain silent because they had no knowledge or no evidence of who Jesus was. Then I believe that there was a smaller group in attendance that day. They were the participators. They were the ones who were the followers of Jesus. They were the ones who knew exactly who Jesus was. They were the ones who were shouting to the top of their lungs, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he that cometh in the name of the Lord. Hosanna. They were the ones who had the substance of things hoped for on the inside of them. They were the ones who had the evidence of things not seen. That's why they could cry out, Hosanna. He's worthy of our highest and our greatest praise. 
Well, as I'm going to my seat, what evidence do you have today in your life that he's worthy of your highest praise? Has he healed your body? If the answer is yes, then he's worthy of your highest, your greatest praise. If you know Jesus as Lord of your life today, he's worthy of the highest and the greatest praise. Can you give him some glory today? Can you shout to the Lord today? He's worthy. He's worthy. He's worthy of all of our praises. Hallelujah to the Lamb of God. Glory. Hallelujah. Come on, let's lift up the King of glory. For he is the mighty God. He is the everlasting God. He is the Prince of Peace. Hallelujah. He is the first and the last who was and is and forevermore shall be. He is, hallelujah, the King of Peace. He is the King of glory. And he's worthy of all of our praise. Glory be to God. Hallelujah. Glory be to God. Hallelujah. Thank you for listening to today's message. If you would like to support this ministry, consider giving online. Text keyword RWOLFC to 77977 or through our free app. Search RWOLFC in the App Store. For more information, visit www.rwolfc.com for articles, blog posts, message references, and our monthly calendar of events.